0: The following podcast is presented by Ensign Services Inc., a company engaged in the business of providing contracted for administrative and back office type support services to post acute healthcare clients. Ensign Services provides accounting, human resources, compliance, legal, risk management, information technology, training, construction support, and other such miscellaneous services to its clients. These contracted for services are available to be utilized at the sole discretion of its clients. References within the podcast to the company and its activities, as well as the use of the terms we, us, its, our, and similar terms used during the discussion are not meant to imply that Ensign Services, Inc., or the Ensign Group, Inc. has any direct operational control, supervision, or direction of the independently operated post-acute healthcare entities. Hey, guys. I am here with Spencer Burton. Uh, he's our new, uh, what are you, Chief Operating Officer at Ensign Services, right? Uh, uh, we're, we're we are, yeah he's kind of looking at me confused. We're we're never sure what our titles are, but uh, really excited to have Spencer here with us today for this next podcast. Um, we are going to be talking about being more effective mentors, and and really basing a lot of the teachings on on uh, the the book Multipliers by Liz Weisman. One of one of my favorite stories that Liz talks about, and probably because I, I love basketball. She tells the story of of a guy named Irvin Magic Johnson. I I was always a big Magic Johnson fan. In fact, I always wore his number in high school. And Magic Johnson in high school was an amazing scorer. Just an incredible basketball player. Would score, you know, 50 points a game. and, And the coach said, every time you get the ball, just shoot it. And... What would happen is they would often win games, but but Irvin tells the story about uh, being in a parking lot after a victory and, and uh, you know, they had just won a game, a, a pretty big game. And he's looking around at his teammates and uh, none of the teammates seemed to have a lot of pride in the victory. In fact, the parents didn't seem to have a lot of pride in the kids. They sort of knew it was, was Irvin's win, was Magic's win. And he said he determined from that point on that he didn't just want to score a lot of points. He wanted to focus his game on making other players better. And the rest is history. A a perennial all-star in the NBA, one of the assist leaders all-time in the NBA. Instead of him scoring 50 points, he was really good at getting four other teammates to score 20 points each. And the results were, were so much better. And he said, if you're, if you're willing to check your ego at the door, you're, will, you're able to accomplish some amazing things. And I think this is kind of the principle that we're built on here uh, at Ensign Services, is, is this this cluster concept, this idea that, that if we're willing to lose ourselves and reach out to others, we can help lift them and multiply them, but at the same time, we gain. So my first question for you, Spencer, and I want you to talk about this, is how do we become great mentors
1: or or multipliers? That's a great question. Um, and I loved how you started talking about Magic Johnson. I think that's such a great story because um, I think Magic Johnson probably in the moment he saw um, the sadness in the parents and the teammates' faces because they didn't get to play the game. It was the Magic show or the Irvin show at that point. But I think the, the beauty of that and truly the magic um, that happened was He wasn't just about making parents happy and making his teammates happy. Ultimately, he became one of the greatest to ever play the game because he made magic happen on the court. He made championships happen. Mm -hmm. He made things happen that wouldn't have happened if he was just showboating and scoring the points. And I think it's a great story because it takes some humility. It took some introspection. It took him changing. And to me, this book, Multipliers, is all about changing
0: and you're saying ironically by forgetting himself and focusing on others he elevated himself he elevated he made himself better
1: and everybody around him yeah, yeah. i mean there are few teams better than the lakers then and and i think probably all of them would point to the facilitator of that yeah. was magic johnson and uh you know part of that humbling ourselves i think so we can help the greater good become greater and get and get the results we want to get as a group is uh is about being introspective, and for me the book Multipliers was a really painful read the first time through. It's still painful every time I read it. But the best books are the ones that make us think twice about who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. Um, first time I read the book, I, every chapter I'd turn to, I'd realize, I'm doing that. And I wasn't looking at the sections about multipliers, I was looking yeah. at, at the bad examples in the book. A lot of this stuff is human nature and we think we're showing ownership or we think we're showing greatness we're actually diminishing our ability to get the ultimate result like Magic was, scoring his 50 points in high school. So to your question about um, mentoring, I think the first step is we have to be humble and we have to look at ourselves and say, how can we be a little bit better? And why does it matter? It matters because if we can be better mentors, that's the only way the Ensign story continues for the next 15, 20, 30 years, because we're building the people that will do things we can't even imagine.
0: Right, long beyond us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do, do you find yourself... Uh, you say you, you, you realized you were an accidental diminisher. How, how, in what ways did you f- see yourself as an accidental diminisher? Can you, can you think oh. of things that you noticed?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll have to uh, probably be cut short here. There's a lot of them. The first one is oftentimes we think if we are showing ownership, that means we have to do everything. Um, I think I've done that many times as an administrator, as a, as a cluster partner or a market leader. Um, I'm so worried about the ultimate short-term result I forget about the bigger result that matters, which is the development of, of people that can do things that I'll never be able to do because of their natural talents.
0: Right. So, so talk to me about your attitude towards the person that you're mentoring. What, what, uh, what does your attitude towards them have to do with, with being a, a good mentor?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great question, Clay. If uh, We're all reading leadership and self-deception this year, and so much of it is seeing people as people. And that's a good start. But I think it goes beyond that. It goes to the point of seeing people as having genius and abilities that we don't have. It talks about that in, in the book, Multipliers. It, can, you, can you help me out with that? You're saying seeing people as
0: people as opposed
1: to what? What, what is the
0: antithesis of, of, of course, we see people as people, right? Or, or how do we not? Let see me give you an example. Okay. So I,
1: when I was precepting an AIT once, um, it had been a long day, and uh, I had promised the AIT we were going to go over some things at the end of the day, and I had big problems I was dealing with with my facility. I saw that person as an AIT, and I saw the next half hour as an obligatory session. For me, the... You they know, were
0: something that was getting in the way of your day.
1: They were getting in the way of my day, and I certainly didn't see them as a solution to the problems. I saw them as, okay, now I got to spend a half hour with them so I can mm. get on and handle the problems. Okay. If I were a multiplier in that moment, I would have said, you're brilliant at some things that I'm not. You have life experience that I don't have. Here are the problems that are challenging me at the facility and are holding us all back. Let's have this session be talking about how when you're an administrator, you will solve these problems that I'm dealing with and that you're going to deal with. And he probably could have come up with solutions that were far better than what I had in my limited, stressed-out perspective.
0: So you're talking about you're you're not giving advice on on how to interact with that person. You're talking about what to actually think about that person. And you're saying when you think of people as having great things to add, it changes your attitude towards them, and it helps you be a better mentor. am I am I restating that? I, the right I think way? that's
1: right. And I think it goes even farther than that, Clay. It helps us access a whole universe of uh, of intellect, a whole universe of abilities that will not only help us be better mentors, but it'll help us be better at our day job of whatever we're doing, help us be better at our facilities or as, in our market or in our whatever role we're doing. Seeing people as, as having something to share, sure, it makes them more excited to be mentored by us, right. but it also helps us as mentors be better at what we do. So it seems like, you know, you're
0: talking about being a great listener and I I always attribute being a great mentee to being a great listener. You're saying to be a great mentor that you need to be a great listener. What What is is being a great listener have to do with being a great mentor?
1: Well, I'll give an example of my favorite doctor I've ever had. Um, It was a doctor that probably didn't go to the best university. Mm -hmm. And uh, hopefully she knew what she was doing because she took care of my life. But when I would sit with her, she would, ask question after question after question. She was the doctor. I was the sick guy, but she would ask question after question, and then I would watch her take those answers I gave and weave them into an ability to diagnose whatever was going wrong with me at the time. Her questions allowed her as a professional to be a superhuman professional. She Mm. was able to do things that, had she just taken my vital signs and maybe, you know, applied some things she learned in a book, granted a book I'd never read, she was a MD. I, I'm hmm. not. But she took what I shared and was able to fix problems that she never could have fixed otherwise. That
0: makes a lot of sense to me. If I go into a therapist, I'm just realizing a therapist isn't just going to start giving me a list of things to do. That therapist is going to start by asking me a bunch of questions, and then, you know, helping to talk me through. That 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 makes a lot of sense to me. I look. I struggle as a listener. It's it's not something that's a natural strength of mine, and I feel bad about that. You're it feels like if I can change my attitude towards those around me and actually feel, have genuine respect for them, I will naturally become a better listener. And if I naturally become a better listener,
1: I'll become a better mentor? I think that's right. I think, Clay, a lot of it goes to the questions we ask. I mean, none of us, whether we're good listeners or not, want to listen to someone spewing off stuff that's irrelevant or banal or whatever, right? If If the doctor in my example had been asking random questions, what I said wouldn't have made much of a difference and she shouldn't have listened to me. She was asking very apt, appropriate, probing questions that allowed me to access things that I hadn't even thought about Mm -hmm. and share with her so she was able to diagnose me. So I think if you're not passionate about your listening, part of it may be you're not asking the right questions to get an interesting answer that you want to listen so, to. that makes So what make are the sense? wrong
0: questions? I, I, this is something that I, you know I'm, I'm passionate about and trying to figure out what kind of questions, when we ask questions that just have a right or wrong answer, you know, an answer is given and thinking stops, right? I mean, you've, you've heard me talk about that. So if I'm a preceptor training a CIT, I'm serving in this mentor role, I need to ask better questions and listen um, but not in a way that I'm quizzing the CIT questions. Questions like uh, like what?
1: Well, l- l- let me let me start with maybe categories of questions that I, I would say okay. we shouldn't ask. Um, and I got to say on questions, I'm kind of a bonsai and you're probably a redwood, so I feel like <laughs> I should be listening to you on this. But but. I went to law school and oftentimes the professors, the way they teach in law school is they start asking questions, trying to lead you down a path through what they call the Socratic method to give the answer that they want to hear. Mm -hmm. And if you're asking questions like that, you're not being a multiplier. You're trying to guide someone into a pre-selected answer. And there is no learning that happens. So, so if by, in the law
0: term, it's a leading question, right? Where you have an answer that you want to lead them to. And so you ask the questions, trying to get them. And, and that's sort of patronizing, right? And, and, and the listener, the mentee is sort of sitting there thinking, look, just tell me what you want me to say. I don't, I don't want to play this game with you.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And if, uh, if you sense the discomfort of that type in, your, in, in the person you're talking to, it's a good indicator you're asking the wrong questions. Now, I think yeah. we do want discomfort, right? We want discomfort of stretching and, and having to think and confront challenges that... Right. Maybe I could just say this, if we're asking questions that we know the answer to and we want them to say the answer we know, why are we wasting our time? Right, just tell them. Let's ask questions that we don't know the answer to, and then we'll all be expanded and yeah. edified.
0: Yeah, I think certain things that I ask myself when I'm trying to figure out a question is, if, if I expect one answer, I don't like the question, right? I mean, it needs to have multiple answers. If I'm trying to lead them, if I'm trying to play gotcha with them and trick them into an answer, I don't like to ask questions like that. And frankly, if I'm gonna ask a question that I think everybody's gonna answer the same, uh, I I don't like those questions. But But I could see a preceptor kind of talking to a CIT, and rather than just giving a list of things, okay, study this, study this, you know, asking them questions that make them think. Uh, you know, somebody asked the question uh, about a year ago. I remember saying, "What are some of the benefits of the nursing shortage that we face?" Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, maybe maybe the nursing shortage is making us better at being customer second. It forces us uh, just through through the market drives to be better. Or 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 asking a CIT, what frustrations do you see in this operation? What, where, where do you see lack in customer service? What what are the things that we need to do? And, and then they're able to kind of come up with those answers and we're training them through those questions. Is that all a mentor does? I mean, is it just asking those questions? Because uh, I'm almost feeling like we're shirking our job as a mentor if we're just asking a bunch of questions and never giving answers.
1: Yeah, I think it's, that's a good question. I think if, it, the answer is no. There's a lot more to what we need to do as a, a mentor, or a cluster partner, or a preceptor. Mm-hmm. But if you were to take a group of a hundred people and some would err on the side of asking too many questions and some would err right. on the side of not asking enough, my guess is the majority of the room would go to the side of the room where they're not asking enough questions, right. if that's fair.
0: Or enough of the right questions. Of enough
1: of the right questions. Yeah. I, think, um, I think though, if you ask the right questions, um, let's say you ask a, a, a great question of a cluster partner in a cluster mm-hmm. meeting question that gets them thinking and struggling and uh, that doesn't have a right answer. That's a good start. But then as a cluster partner or a mentor, I I think it's important that we do what the book Multipliers talks about, which is sometimes people just get stuck and it doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean they're dumb. It just means they're stuck, they're humans. And then we, with our different perspective, we can come in and ask additional questions or even help out a little bit. They call it helicoptering in, I think, in the book. Um, it's not that we have all the answers, but we have a different perspective. And we can come in and we can give a little bit, but then we need to come back out because if we, if we're not careful, we'll start prescribing something.
0: So she says, we take the pen for a little bit, we add to it, then we hand the pen back, and let them keep going with the answer, right?
1: Yeah, and in the cluster concept or in, in context, it's not about just us being great leaders. so we give the pen back even though we could do so much better at the whiteboard. There comes a point where legitimately speaking, our cluster partner can do more with the pen than we can do, Yeah. and we got to recognize that and hand the pen back then, or we do harm and we stop them from getting the right answer. If that makes sense,
0: yeah. And we won't realize that if we're doing all the talking, which again is uh, th- these are we're really attacking a lot of my weaknesses. Um, so, all right. So you start. You brought up multipliers again. Let's let's talk about multipliers a little bit. So, here's a couple of things that Liz Weisman says that 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 multipliers do. Um, they create intensity and give everyone permission to think. Uh, they extend challenges, right? they making people stretch. They debate decisions. Um, they instill ownership and accountability. So, so uh, there's lots of different things. Tell me what, when you think about being a multiplier, what do you think about?
1: I think, first of all, I think of discomfort, because it's hard to be a multiplier for me, mm-hmm. and it's less comfortable for, for, for my partner sometimes. We're all geared, and we come out of a world of school and corporate and, and everything else where we're not used to it. So I think discomfort, honestly, first of all. On both sides. On both sides.
0: Mentor and mentee.
1: Yeah, it's not a natural thing. Like okay. most things that are meaningful in life, multiplying and, and being multiplied, and we have to do both, mm-hmm. isn't natural. So I think of things like the principle of an investor, Okay. An investor, um, if you're a multiplier or if you're a mentor or a cluster partner, you're not um, just doing things because you're nice. We're not giving everybody a trophy for participation right. and a pat on the back. We're going through these steps and we're asking the questions and we're investing because we expect a return. And uh, as, a, as a multiplier, I think there's g- going to be you know, many times where that discomfort comes out as you know, pressure. Mm-hmm. Pressure to be better for, for everybody involved. So talk to me then. Okay, so that pressure, is that the
0: opposite, though, of being... I mean, we talk about being talent magnets. We're trying to attract people, but if we're applying pressure on people all the time, aren't we going to drive people away? I mean, how do we be talent magnets as multipliers while at the same time applying this pressure as as mentors?
1: That's a, that's a great question, too. I think... Um, maybe my attempt at an answer to that is we're not trying to just attract everybody. Mm-hmm. We're trying to attract a certain segment of the population mm-hmm. of the world that loves getting results, loves making a difference. If we're filling you know, the ranks of our company with people who want to collect a paycheck for being mediocre, those are people who would probably be turned away by pressure. Mm-hmm. If we present it in the right way they will see in the in the pressure, they'll see the opportunity for greatness. I don't think anything great's ever happened in an environment free of pressure. I can't mm-hmm. think of anything probably in history that has.
0: So if I'm selecting a personal trainer, there's two types of personal trainers I could look at. I could look at the person who's really gonna push me and really help me develop. Or I could go to the person who's really gonna say great things to me and just pump me up and motivate me and tell me
1: what a great job I'm doing no matter what. And send you a, a get well card when you're getting your uh, coronary you know, bypass <laughs> surgery because you so, didn't exercise. So if
0: I'm the right person, I'm going to want that one that, that creates that pressure. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I, I, uh, what, what, about, uh, what about the ability of a multiplier to find somebody's native genius?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that, that's an important concept too. And I guess just one last thought on that idea of the right people. I just want to say I am not the right person much of the time. So it's important we talk to one another and even people, if we're interviewing them, it's important we talk about that these are principles we're aspiring to. We're not picking right people off a shelf or none of us would ever be picked. I certainly wouldn't be part of the company, but we're taking good people with the right desires and attributes. And this process is what refines us into being hopefully the right people eventually. Um, And I think that goes right into this idea of native genius. Um, as we're you know trying to be talent magnets and find talent outside of the company and also elevate you know talent within the, the company, um, we have to realize that everybody has got something that they do brilliantly, um, especially if we're picking you know the right type of people to be part of our company. and seeking for that talent, the, the book talks about a guy on a plane who sees a mom hushing a baby and this is close to my heart because I just got off a plane with a baby that cried the whole time. <laughs> um, and, uh, but he saw this mom who was brilliant at hushing her baby and helping calm the child, you know, d- despite the pain in its ears or whatever. He saw genius in that. And he thought, if that woman can do that with a screaming one-year-old, right. he would be amazing at, you know, something else. And I think that's what it is. We have to have a creativity where we're not trying to say, how many square pegs do we have to go into our square holes? Yeah. Right. We're trying to look for genius to, to attack and to solve problems we haven't even thought about.
0: So when we find people's native genius, we need to shine a light on it. We need to make sure that they, maybe they don't, maybe they're not even aware. Right. I mean, I've had people point out things to me where I thought, oh, am I, I didn't, I didn't realize I was good at that. I just thought I liked doing it or, or something like that. And we, we shine a light on it. We let them know and then
1: find ways to let them kind of utilize that native genius for good, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, they say that someone's native genius is something that comes freely to them, in other words, um, and it comes naturally to them. They don't have to be paid; they're going to do it regardless, and um, it's something they're good at. I'll give you an example um, that I think applies to our our work. The other day, I was at my home and I was trying to get my daughter to do the dishes. Mm-hmm. Um, She's a capable, relatively smart person despite her parents, you know, despite her dad. She's smart. She knows how to do it. I had to ask her about 15 times to to clear the table. Not hard. A few days later, that same daughter disappeared and spent about five hours in my basement hammering, sawing, creating a skate park out of scrap lumber in my (sighs) unfinished basement. I didn't ask her to do anything. And she built a skate park. Which seems a lot harder than washing the dishes. It's a lot harder. What was the difference? It was that discretionary effort that was unlocked because she wanted to do something. It was her native genius. It was her vision, she was excited about it, and she was building something. Think about it. When you're doing something you're passionate about, when you're doing something you love, you don't think about the time, you don't think about clocking out, you don't think of any of that stuff. You're lost and kind of almost enraptured in the idea of what you're creating. And to me, that's what multipliers is all about, or this idea of, of native genius. If we as leaders can find what people do so naturally, like my daughter's skate park mm-hmm. creation, we don't have to worry about motivating. If anything, we have to worry about telling them, hey, it's time for bed. You can go back to this tomorrow because they love it so much.
0: That, that reminds me of a quote that I love to talk about, and I can never say his name, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry or something like that. He says, if, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up men to gather wood, divide the work and give orders. That was sort of what the the washing the dishes was. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. She had developed a love of something. And And it seems like you're saying as mentors and as multipliers, we need to teach people to have a passion for learning. It's not about teaching them everything they need to know. It's about teaching them how to learn and to want to learn. And if we can do that, it seems like I mean, you think about teachers that you've loved they they developed a love of learning, not just downloaded a bunch of information to you so so coming back, I, I want to ask what what are some common mistakes that um that multipliers tend to make like what 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 are are not not multipliers that uh accidental diminishers. What are mistakes that we make when we try and be mentors?
1: Well, I think there are a lot of mistakes we can make. One that's probably the most common one I've made is I sometimes don't realize... I I apply my own solutions and my own uh, maybe limitations to what can be accomplished. And I've found oftentimes where I just hold back and instead of saying, hey, here's the problem, here's the solution, if I just let the person be multiplied, Oftentimes, they come up with ideas that are far better than, than than my own ones would be. And I've I've seen this with results too. Oftentimes, when I was in a market leader role, I'd say, hey, I, I believe this, this facility is capable of this or that. And then all of a sudden, you find that the leaders that are in the facility have come up with a perfect survey that I never thought was possible yeah. or three times the financial bottom line or half the turnover that I even thought was possible.
0: So do you just not... Pr- I mean... It's a double-edged sword there. Are you not, do you not praise them and say, hey, you've arrived? I mean, how do you balance that with celebration, but with also having them not feel like they've reached what they can reach, right? Yeah.
1: Well, I think, that, I think the point is um, us celebrating the right people for having a great success isn't going to make those people feel like they've arrived. Right. It's going to put more wind in their sails to do if, okay. if we celebrate correctly. The wrong people will say, oh, the boss is happy, so I don't have to do any more work. But the people that are accomplishing great things, my opinion is those are the people who, yeah, giving celebration, praising, shining a spotlight, asking them to teach other people so others can have the same benefit. All of that is just going to stoke the fire in them to do even do, more. Do you
0: continue to put pressure on them if they're... If they're succeeding, or are they gonna feel like, hey, wait a second, I've arrived here, why are you still putting pressure on me? I guess I'm not quite sure how to handle that situation.
1: Well, I think the pressure of success and very public success, let's use the example of someone who, uh, I know an administrator whose turnover is less than 12% this year. Mm -hmm. He's brilliant and his team is brilliant at this. Us celebrating that and sharing with the world, saying, look at what this guy's doing, do you think that's going to make him feel more pressure to continue doing mm. it or make him feel like he's arrived?
0: So the success you're saying almost breeds success, and, and, it, and it, it it applies the pressure because then people start to look at them. You know, when you when you become Magic Johnson, and, and you continue to apply pressure on yourself
1: because they expect you
0: to remain as Magic Johnson or, or to continue to improve?
1: I think that's right, and I think most people that are Magic Johnsons are probably in their native genius. They're just good at it. And they're, yeah. they're like my daughter hammering away at 10 o'clock PM. They're having so much fun creating amazing results, you know, living the vision of what Ensign's all about, which is creating something that doesn't exist elsewhere. I don't know if pressure's even needed from the outside because they're doing what they love and they're getting results.
0: So I think one of the big mistakes I, I always have made as a
1: leader is, is
0: I was a rescuer. I almost felt like it was my job to solve my people's problems, right? And if there was a problem, I would I would swoop in and I would I would rescue them. There's a there's an old saying that that says nothing grows under a banyan tree. A, a banyan tree provides a ton of shade and it makes people so comfortable, but they don't allow in any sunlight for growth and as a mentor sometimes we become banyan trees because we're protecting our people from sunlight and for opportunities from growth, and, and we have to resist the temptation to jump in and solve the problem. What, what are some of the things that you do to draw the best out of people? Are, are there tricks or techniques that you use?
1: Well, it, it's something I'm not very good at, and that's why I read this book over and over and over again, because it, tries, it, it gives us hope that we can be better tomorrow than we are today. I will say this, I think we need to go to almost every um, interaction w- with the thought in our minds, how do I do no harm? Because I think as leaders or mentors, we can do a lot of harm if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And so thinking and being alert- With good that, intentions. With good intentions, right. Yeah. Like your example of rescuing. I've done that more times than I, I want to admit. And There's the old analogy of, of the monkeys. We go and we take things off people's plates that frankly they're way better at doing than we are but we do it because we think we're serving them. But we can't let them flounder, right? I mean, what's the other side to that? Shouldn't shouldn't we be
0: rescuing them? Shouldn't we be making sure they don't make any mistakes? Isn't that our job as their leaders, as
1: their mentors? I think it's our job to make sure that we protect our facilities (laughs) and protect our clusters, Uh, but we've gotta be so careful in doing it because we can artificially create an environment of dependency that will make Mm -hmm. it impossible for us to be successful. And uh, I, I'm with you. I mean, we don't want anything in our buildings to happen that could get a harm tag. Right. That's unconscionable. We right. can't let people be harmed in our facilities. Right. And we need to do whatever we can to step in. I believe, um, you know, and I struggle with this, but I believe we have to do it in a way where if eventually we're plugging every hole in the dike and there's 21 holes, we don't have any more toes and any more fingers left. We're not doing anybody a service. Right. For teaching people how to plug the holes and actually do some preventative maintenance, and even build a better dike, then we don't have to worry about it. And we can actually concentrate more on the big rocks, the things that only we can do, uh, that we are neglecting when we're running around trying to, as you say, rescue and do things that other people can probably do better than we can if we'll just lead and help hold them accountable. So uh,
0: talk to me about the, the, the... This role of I've heard you talk about being genuine. The importance of being genuine uh, as a mentor uh, versus, you know, maybe unintentionally being
1: patronizing. Why is it so important to be genuine? It's hard, um, but it's. I think most people we work with are really smart. I think the residents we work with are smart. I think the employees we work with and our cluster partners are smart, and. Our methods may fail, our approach may be wrong, but something that if people know we're genuine and we really care, genuine to me is that core value of love one another. Mm -hmm. If we really love people and they sense that, they will take hard feedback like it talks about in multipliers, they will take being challenged, they will take us demanding their best work, they will take the pen back and run with it if they know that we genuinely care about them. I'll give you an analogy. There's, uh, They talk a lot about, um, there's a, a story about monkeys and how good leaders take monkeys off their back and put them on other people's back. Mm-hmm. I've always had a real discomfort with that mm-hmm. because I feel like servant leaders should carry as many monkeys as we can without right. crumbling. You don't feel like that's your job. That's a, we, we, Yeah. And uh, why would I take something negative and put it on someone else? Multipliers changed my perspective entirely because... Um, yes, there are monkeys. There are battles that have to be fought, and we as leaders need to be at the forefront fighting those battles. And there are things that if we do correctly, they're not monkeys. They're, they're, things, they're development opportunities for others that will make them the leaders of tomorrow, which frankly our company needs. With the growth that we're expecting and with the... Um, of our industry needing us to come in and rescue many facilities mm-hmm. if we don't develop the next generation of leaders. And if we don't develop ourselves into better multipliers, we're going to let the entire country down because we won't be there to take care of the people that need to be taken care of.
0: So we've said this a lot. We want to be, you know, at Ensign Services and then and then all, within all the affiliates of the Ensign Group, we want to be the best leadership development company in the world. We we happen to be in healthcare. That's the space that we're in, but what we really want to be good at is leadership development. We're talking about asking the right questions and pushing people and but but not rescuing them, but at the same time not letting them flounder. What what really is the big thing that we should be doing as mentors? What what is the line that we draw? You, you mentioned big rocks and, and that we need to make sure that we're focusing on our big rocks. How, how do we, I, I'm just trying to figure out what role I really should be playing as a, as a mentor and as a multiplier and as a leadership developer.
1: That's an excellent question. I don't pretend to have the answer to it entirely. Uh, maybe I can share an example though. If I have a, when I was an administrator and a market leader and in my current role, I have a checklist of just things that I know are important. I don't want to go a week or two without doing these things. And if on your checklist of daily, weekly, monthly things, you don't have talent development and leadership development of those around you, mm-hmm. whether it's department heads, CNAs, cluster partners, if you don't have that as a big rock that you're actively thinking about, focusing on, on your drive home, are you thinking about how can I help You know, this CNA take the next step? She needs to be something that she's not yet. Or how can help this cluster become leader become or cluster partner become a better leader? I'd say check what you're spending your time on, and if talent development isn't on your list, it's probably something we need to rethink. And it doesn't have to just be a scripted thing. I, I want to share just a quick story. Hopefully, it's not too off topic that made a huge difference in in my life. I had a very difficult time where I was an overwhelmed leader, flailing at a facility. It was a facility in the northwest that had received eleven immediate jeopardy tags and mm. I was the interim fill-in administrator because the administrator had left obviously after that. And uh, culture was not great mm-hmm. and everyone was complaining about it and saying, management doesn't do anything for us. I was going to the supermarket and buying sodas, cases and cases every week and passing them out personally. I was spending about 18 hours a day patting people on the back. And to hear this was just heartbreaking for me. I was exhausted. And there was a great CNA who was in my office, and she saw I was down, and she asked why. I just told her, I don't know what to do. The, the culture is broken, and I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, she... And
0: you felt like it's your job to fix it, right? Absolutely. You're in that I'm position. the administrator. Right. I'm the
1: solution. Right. And, uh, you know, she asked some good questions. Mm-hmm. She was a multiplier. She was my mentor in this case. and it came. So she
0: was your mentor. She was a CNA. You were the executive director. So mentoring, I just want to point out here... Is not about title. Everybody's a mentor. Everyone you're pointing should, out through it, this experience.
1: Our, in our company, I think if we're good to be what we want to be, every single person has a role in developing other leaders around us. Okay. I think it's a great point you're making. Um, she basically talked to me and she said, um, we, we talked through some things and she said, You know what? Spencer, if you'll let me, let me help you fix this problem. She cared as much about the building as I did and I was at my wits' end, so I kind of surrendered. And she went and talked to a bunch of staff and she came back and said, you know what, if we can have $200, I think we'll probably, you know, have a solution. At that point I said, sure, you know, you got 200 bucks. And she said, well, I wanna start a culture committee. I wanna get some of the other CNAs and dietary aids and nurses, and we're gonna come up with a solution. If we have 200 bucks, we'll take care of it. So they got their 200 bucks. And uh, a week later, I saw people laughing and smiling, giving high fives. And uh, they were so excited and I asked what was going on. They said, did you see that new thing? You guys are so awesome, thank you. I was like, acted like I knew what they were talking about, kind of went along with it. I went in the break room and they'd they'd hired a company to bring in a sandwich machine, a vending machine that gave sandwiches. And everyone was huddled around and they were so excited because (laughs) the culture committee, they thought me, but it was the culture committee had brought a sandwich machine. And that was the turning point in that facility where they took ownership for the culture Mm. and I got out of the way, and uh, things started to so change. So I'm going to put you better. on the
0: spot on a podcast with a trick question. Who was the mentor and who was the mentee in that situation?
1: I was, I was the mentee, I, I feel like, but... I, um,
0: but were you also the mentor?
1: I think so. I think uh, because I was so exhausted, I had no choice but to be the mentor. I think I asked
0: the question that that because I think we think the person who does the talking and gives the solution is the mentor, and the person doing the listening is the mentee and yet you allowed somebody else to solve a problem which allowed them to construct knowledge for themselves and in that case you also served as a men- it's both right yeah. it's this concept that that when when m- good mentoring happens you know here's the statement that both are edified <laughs> and they and they grow together and 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 that's really the whole premise of, of uh, this, this cluster model that we want to make sure that we have that, that uh, you know, in order, to be, in order to be great mentors, we've got to be really good at asking questions. We've got to be good at listening. Yes, we need to teach and we need to share what we know, but then we need to hand the marker back to them and, and let people grow themselves because they are then mentors for somebody else. And hopefully they'll be mentors for you as well. Uh, give me any final thoughts you have on on being a, a you know a great mentor, a great uh, a great trainer, a great multiplier.
1: I think it, I think it probably comes back to just the way we look at the world. We've got to start by, and I'm talking to myself more because I struggle with this every day. But we've got to start with just seeing people as you know having a genius, having something that they can share that we need and that we that we don't have. And if we do that and if we see people for what they really are, we can pull native genius out and we can help put it to work and that's what's gonna create the tidal wave that you know continues to take our company where it needs to go. Um, I, just, I guess I would end with just a thought. The first page of Multipliers has this quote and it says, British Prime Minister William Gladstone, uh, when you met with him you left feeling that he was the smartest person in the world. But after meeting with his rival, Benjamin Disraeli, you left thinking that you were the smartest person. It's that um, little bit of a conundrum. Sometimes the people that make us feel like they're the smartest person in the world don't get the best out of us. And uh, as I read that quote this morning, I was thinking, I perform the very best when I feel empowered and I w- when I feel smart. And that doesn't mean I want someone manipulating me or giving me trophies that I don't deserve, but I want people to help create an environment where I can be my very best. And as leaders, and to Clay's point, each one of us is a mentor or a leader. We need to create that for one another, an environment where we can do our very best with confidence and we can stretch the limits because our business demands it. If we don't stretch the limits, we're in a dying industry. But if we do stretch the limits and multiply one another, we're going to be just fine. In fact, we're going to thrive and we're going to accomplish our mission.
0: You know, it sounds like the key in that is, is that setting ego aside. If we don't care who gets the credit, it's amazing what can be accomplished, right? And if I can be somebody, I mean, I think sometimes as a mentor, as a trainer, we sometimes, it becomes about us and and did they did they love what they learned from us? But if we can be that person that people leave feeling like, they're more empowered, feeling like they're more capable, feeling like they're, they're capable of learning more, of doing more, Then I've done better as a mentor. Even though I may be less memorable in their minds, they're elevated and therefore I've done a better job and that means I need to check my ego at the door.
1: Clay, I think you said it beautifully, and ultimately results, not just financial, but the culture we create, the clinical outcomes we create, and really the movement that we continue will be what vindicates us. We don't need you know, our name listed under some sort of a quote. We don't need a plaque saying thank you. We need healthcare to be dignified in the eyes of the world. And we'll do that if we don't care about who gets the credit.
0: Well, thanks Spencer. I, I, think, uh, I think this is a key because if we're gonna be great in the next 20 years and all of our affiliates are gonna be great in the next 20 years, we've gotta become a leadership development company. And that means being great mentors, that means being great multipliers to those around us and and hopefully we've all heard something that, that can help us in our in our mentor uh, relationships. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks Chloe.